Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 109 of Selling the Couch. Hope uh, today's podcast finds you doing delightfully well. Uh, so I'm really excited about today's episode because it is a topic that is so out of the box, like literally out of the box. But uh, I wanted to have this person on because they've just done something so neat and so different with their career as a way to to serve others and create some additional income streams. I was like, man, uh, I just have to share this conversation. So uh, my guest is Dr. Ellis Edmonds. Ellis is a psychologist out in California. And Ellis had this idea to create a board game while he was in grad school. And it's a therapeutic board game based on some of the concepts that the concept of mindfulness and some of the things that he's learned as he's become more versed in uh, mindfulness and acceptance and commitment therapy and all of those things. And today we're just going to talk all about Ellis's process in creating this board game. Uh, part of the reason I wanted to have Ellis on is you'll hear this in the interview, but I feel like many of us are extremely talented and extremely creative and if you're like me, you probably have about 15 ideas that projects that you want to work on and do. But uh, if for me, at least, actually prior to STC, I had a lot of these ideas and I just never took the step to implement them because I just let fear and doubt and all of those things get in the way. And I wanted to have Ellis on one, I think, just to encourage you to take a leap of faith when you have an idea that maybe it doesn't seem like a big idea. It actually seems like a small little idea. But if it just keeps kind of staying with you, how do you move beyond that idea and actually moving forward? So um, we're going to talk all about how Ellis um, had this idea. He actually ended up waiting almost a year and a half before he went through in creating this board game, how he got through those mental hurdles. And then we're just going to talk about the really practical stuff of creating something like a physical product, like a board game. So did Ellis create a prototype and how did he do that? And who did he reach out to actually create this board game once it was actually ready to go? And how did he figure out marketing related things? How did he figure out pricing for this board game? And how did he validate the board game? I'm just a big fan of validation. So actually seeing if people would be interested in a product before actually fully creating the product. 
So we'll get right to it. You can follow along on show notes at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 109. But here's my conversation with Dr. Ellis Edmonds from drellisedmonds.com. And Ellis's board game is at themindfulbus.com. Hey, Ellis, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to our conversation. This is such a unique topic. You know, we were talking about this right before, but I feel like many folks in our field, if not like just about everyone, is so creative and uh, we have lots of ideas. But you actually took an idea you had and you did something with it, which was to create a board game. Yeah, yeah. It was quite the journey and I'm really looking forward to sort of sharing it with people. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted to start just kind of broad, but how did you even come up with the idea to create a board game? Yeah, well, I sort of want to start kind of going all the way back to my childhood, as therapists tend to do sometimes. <laughs> I grew up playing a lot of games myself, a lot of video games, a lot of board games, card games. I remember I had one of the original Nintendos with you know, Duck Hunt and Mario on it. Oh, classic right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember opening like my first pack of Magic cards and um, just playing a lot of games with my brother and with all my friends. It was like my main way of socializing when I was a kid. And so I sort of developed this passion for gaming when I was really younger. And that sort of carried over into my professional career, uh, unbeknownst to me when I was younger, but something I was really passionate about when I was younger. So... Yeah. The other thing that sort of happened to me along the way was during my undergrad at UC Berkeley, I was studying psychology. And one of the programs I was in was sort of this volunteer program at Napa State Hospital, in which that were volunteers and we would go into the hospital and our title was uh, recreational therapists. And so what we do is go in there and just play games with the patients. We would play games like Yahtzee or Dominoes or different card games like Uno. And I remember the patients there at the hospital really reflecting to us just how important it was to play games and how much fun they would have with us and they would look forward to it every week. And so while it seemed like a simple thing just to playing games, it was really important and it made a difference in people's lives. So that sort of started the wheels turning in my head around this sort of intersection between psychology and gaming. The other sort of things that happened to me in graduate school was that I had a few internships at high schools and a middle school. And I remember in the therapy rooms, they had different games there, games like Uno or Yahtzee, Jenga. The kids love to play Jenga. And we would use the games to sort of build rapport with the teens and the kids. And there was also this game called the Ungame in the therapy mm-hmm. rooms. I remember and, black and white, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And so the Ungame sort of had these you know, these questions on the cards. And Because it was sort of the context of the game, the kids were sort of, or the teens were more likely to sort of answer the questions honestly and openly with us because it was sort of like the safe context of a game. And so I sort of took mental notes of that as I was kind of going through my career and developing myself as a psychologist. So there could be this overlap between gaming and psychology. And the other thing that sort of happened along This whole process was I developed a mindfulness practice for myself. That was something that was important to me. I've been sort of practicing mindfulness meditation for about 10, 12 years now. So sort of this overlap between all these different things I was passionate about 
started to kind of come up. And eventually when I was in graduate school and I started studying acceptance and commitment therapy. Now, I don't know if you know too much about it, but acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, as I call it, there's this thing called the hexaflex that sort of has six points on it of the different processes and ACT. And I remember when I first looked at the hexaflex, to me, it looked like a game board. And I was, I was like, sort of a light bulb moment. I remember kind of popped in my head, like, well, maybe I could create a game about ACT. <laughs> so that's sort of the processes I went through to sort of first get this idea of creating an ACT board game. So when you were looking at the end game, you said that you had some like key insights. You were making some mental notes, right? Mm-hmm. What sort of, like, do you remember what some of those key kind of takeaways were? Yeah, I just remember, you know, some of the teens I was working with were kind of hard to work with in some respects and that they would, they weren't very open to therapy. They didn't really want to talk about things, you know, as a therapist, we want them to talk about. And so the Ungame sort of created this nice bridge between, you know, me and the kid to sort of open up and discuss like family issues, things that were really going on because of these questions on the cards. And because it was sort of in the context of a game, they were more open to sharing. Sort of, I remember like, wow, this, this gaming is actually kind of powerful in terms of psychology and, and in terms of getting people to open up and maybe exploring things they wouldn't normally explore. Yeah, it's almost like the gaming gave a context and almost permission where you could go deeper into these topics. Yeah, Yeah, but it wasn't like, I guess it was like about the person, but the focus wasn't directly on the person. It was like indirectly on the person via the game. Right, exactly. Yeah, it felt, I think it felt safer for people to sort of open up because of the context of the game, yeah. The way you described like the key kind of events in your life, I just thought that was so beautiful. Like it reminded me of that. Do you remember, you know, when Steve Jobs did that commencement speech at Stanford? Yes, yes. And he said, you know, like he had all these things about like how he took the typography class and how, mm-hmm. you know, and at that moment it was about taking the typography class, but you know, later it would become one of the fonts for the Apple devices and I had that same thing, like he had that insight of I guess I'm going to butcher that quote because I don't remember it, but like looking backwards, everything was very clear. But in that Mm. moment, like it was almost, it was hard to see how things would line up. And I just, it's amazing that you like form these different connections from all the way from childhood to undergrad to graduate training to now where you are. Yeah, thank you. I hadn't thought about that quote, but yeah, I think it's a similar experience to what he had. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to talk a little bit about the mindset that it goes into not just creating a game, but just the creative process. Because I do feel like many of us in the field are extremely talented and creative. Mm -hmm. Um, We have just very creative minds. We have a lot of great ideas. But the reality is, and I've been guilty of this too, like prior to STC, you know, I feel like I had a lot of good ideas, but I just never implemented them, mainly because I was scared. How did you like mentally move from that place of idea and even walking through maybe fear or uncertainty to actual action yeah well it took some time to be honest it took some time i think there was a few things going on one was i was when i first got the idea i was still sort of finishing my training and i had a lot a lot of things on my plate um so it took some time between 
for having this idea. It was sort of on the back burner in my mind before I felt like I had some more space in my life to, to fully explore it. And I think, yes, there was quite a, a bit of fears that came up around just like, is this idea completely crazy? Is this going to work? Would anybody buy this game? Is it going to help anybody? You know, a lot of those fears that I sat with for some time before I made any concrete action on the game. How long do you think it was? Like months, years? Uh, Yeah, I think when I first got the idea, I was still probably my last year of graduate school, and it wasn't for another year and a half or so till I finally got my license that I felt like I had some space and time to really pursue the game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, (laughs) it was some time. Yeah, I mean, I know for S- with STC, I think it was almost close to a year yeah. between just the idea and, you know, implementation. And I'd like right. to think of it like an incubation period, but the, the reality <laughs> was I was petrified. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, but how did you like, so, I mean, you sat with this for a year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think like for me, I guess if I sat with an idea for a year and a half, there would always be this part of me. It's like, ah, uh, you've sat this with this for a year and a half. Who's going to buy this now? You know, like how did you sustain that, that passion? And then how did you actually move to that next step where you were like, you know what? I got time now and let's get to work on it. Yeah. I think part of it was, I remember just talking to people about the game, you know, my friends and my family. And every time I talked to somebody about it, they would just have this reaction of, oh, that sounds really cool. Or, you know, see their eyes light up and be like, wow, what's that about? And they'd ask me all these questions. So I think at some point I realized, like, I have to pursue this. This seems like such a unique, interesting idea. You know, at some point on the process, it felt like it was sort of, it almost felt like my calling to create this thing like there wasn't there might not be another person on this planet who has had this background in gaming who also really loves acceptance and commitment therapy and could create something like this so i don't know it felt like i kind of needed to do this in in some ways and I, i think in terms of like taking the first step what was important there was just to start small and you know not worry about the the finished end product and try to complete it in one week. It was just, you know, what's the first step I can take? I think the first thing I did was take out a blank piece of paper and draw out the board exactly how I wanted it to look, figure out how many squares I wanted to put on it, how many dice I wanted to use, you know, what I wanted the cards to look like. Just very simple things like that. Just put it on paper. Do you think that was helpful to get it out of your head like that? Yeah, it was. It was very helpful to just sort of have it all on paper there. And then, you know, as I could sort of just like rethink it and, you know, redraw it if I needed to. And I remember my first prototype was just this piece of cardboard, basically. I just took a Sharpie and drew the board on a piece of cardboard, got some dice. I think I I printed out the cards from just on my printer and Kind of, I don't know what I used for pieces. I can't even remember what I used actually <laughs> for pieces. They were just like, I don't know, little things. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's key, right? Because I know for many of us, we want the finished product, right? So we envision this is going to be just this amazing, like beautifully crafted product, right? But that's definitely what we want to aspire to. But that's not usually where good ideas start. Right. I think it can be very overwhelming to think about the end product right at the beginning. I mean, I sort of had some idea of what I kind of wanted it to be, but along the way, you know, things change and 
I think just just taking it one step at a time was really important for me just to kind of to go slowly and keep moving. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of actually last week's episode is actually going to was on the book the one thing, right? And so mm-hmm. in this book they talk a lot about that the most successful entrepreneurs when they have a big idea, it may be like an idea that's 5 or 10 years away, but what they do is they work backwards and they create these small little micro steps right? Like, yeah. what's the thing I can do in the next hour? What's the next thing I can do in the next week? What's the next thing I can do in the next month to get toward that bigger goal? It sounds like you did yeah. something very similar. Yeah, I think that was very similar to my process, just one thing at a time. And, you know, small, I think, persistent small actions over a long period of time create big change. So No, I mean, well said. Did you create like any kind of a checklist or anything like that? Or you... Yeah, I certainly had checklists and, you know, I, I knew the different parts and kind of what I needed for each of them. And there was some, you know, some structure and a lot of it was just sort of being flexible as well because I didn't really have too much of a precedent set for this game. Like I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't look at a ton of other games or things like that. And this is sort of like a unique thing. So it was sort of like, I kind of knew what I wanted it to look like, but I also kind of went with what was working and kind of going with the flow in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like for you, that process was structured in some way, but very organic in other ways. Yes. Yes. I think it was a little both. Yeah. So you created this first prototype and then what did the general steps look like after that? I mean, you obviously you didn't put it in a box and, you know, start selling, right? So <laughs> like, how did it get from there to, you know, the actual board game and it going yeah. live and being available and all that? What are those key steps? All right. Yeah. So the steps from there was testing it quite a bit with anybody who would play with me, basically. <laughs> Um, friends, family, colleagues, whoever would play the game with me, I would just take it with me and, and get a lot of people to test it out. So there was a lot of just sort of tweaking the different parts and sort of getting the wording right on the cards and figuring that all out. And then, you know, there came a point where I realized I wanted to get it like professionally done. I wanted it to really look nice and be able to sell it. So I needed to hire a graphic designer and I called a bunch of graphic designers and sort of chose one that felt right for me and felt like a good fit. And so a lot of the last process was sort of working on the graphics and getting the art right and sort of creating this vision for it in that way. How um, did you find these graphic designers? Is it like a Google search or did you use like Upwork or 99designs or something like that? Yeah, I think it was Google or Yelp, or I asked a few people as well to, who I knew and knew some graphic designers. But yeah, I think there's different sources like that. Yeah. So what did you tell them? Like, hey, I'm creating a board game. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would just tell them about the project, and many of them had never created a board game before, and so it was interesting to sort of see their reaction. And you know, I'd ask them how they could help me and try to get into their process and. Just, I don't know, just kind of go with my gut, who felt like a good match for this project. And I felt like I got pretty lucky. The art turned out amazing, actually. So it's a very beautiful game to look at. I'm actually very curious about it now. (laughs) Um, So it sounds like even just that process of hiring, there's like some practical wisdom there. So one, you relied on other people that may have worked with this person, right? Mm -hmm. And then got, I guess, somewhat objective data. 
based on experience. And then you kind of did it more like an intuitive feel, like how did this person align with what my vision was? That's right. I think it was a combination of those two. Yeah. Led me there. And then, so you had this person create the graphic and then what did that look like after that? So I found a website that's called boardgamemakers.com, which where you can put in the graphics and they create, you know, the board and the cards and the instruction booklet and the box and dice. And so it was a really awesome place to create board games. It took me a while to to find that website, actually. That's Um, amazing. They have an entire website that just makes board games. Yeah, custom board games. It's very cool. If you want to make your own board game, you certainly can. <laughs> yeah. So that was really important to find that. And one of the hardest things about the game actually was finding the little bus pieces, figuring out how to create those. And that took a while. I looked like all over the internet and all over different toy stores and things to find a bus little bus piece that would fit perfectly on the board. And eventually I ended up finding a 3D printer or somebody who has a 3D printer to create the bus pieces. So that was, yeah. Talk about, like, just persistence, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, persistence was definitely one of the themes throughout the creation of this game, for sure. So, I guess before I ask you this question, so the board game got built, and then what did you do? Like, did you start telling colleagues about it? Did you put it on your website? Like, what? how did you start to actually get the word out about it? Yeah, so I created a website for it, themindfulbus.com, and, you know, took a bunch of pictures of it to get up on the website. I started telling everybody, I think everybody in my life already knew I was doing this thing. So, but I just tried to tell everybody I knew and everybody that they knew knew that I had this board game out. Um, I advertised it on social media like Facebook and Twitter. I used some just like listservs of different therapists and kind of got the word out that way. Mm. But yeah, I think the most important thing was just like telling everybody I came across about it. You know, one of the things I do now is I every time I go to like a networking event or a marketing event, I bring a copy of the game with me and just kind of show it and people seem to love it. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would imagine there's something very powerful about that, right? As, as opposed to talking about it, showing what it does. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, yeah, it's very visually beautiful. So it gets a lot of attention just in that regard. So really random, but like, how did you decide on a price point for the game? I think it was a combination of just looking at the costs that it took to create it and asking people, how much would you pay for a therapeutic board game? Yeah. And it just sort of arrived at a number that felt right for me and felt like it would cover my costs, basically. Okay. Yeah. So like, I guess, really practical, you figured out how much it would cost to create one like version or one prototype of that game mm-hmm. and then try to say like i want to i don't know like 25 percent profit or something mm-hmm. and then yep. at least got a rough idea like that yeah i'm actually not making too much profit off of this it's sort of just been a fun side project at the time but yeah just sort of combination of what i felt like people could pay what I felt it was worth to me and then sort of making sure I'm covering my costs and making a little bit of profit. I wanted to ask you, what do you think was the biggest lesson that you've learned in this whole process? And it could be a practical one or an emotional Mm -hmm. one, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the biggest lesson I learned was sort of the lesson that the game itself sort of aims to teach, which is sort of about acting on your values and continuing to act on your values in the presence of fear. 
And so I think it was a long process of creating the game, and there were certainly some bumps along the road, but sort of being persistent and continuing to pursue this project, which was really kind of important and I was very passionate about. Yeah, just continuing to go down the road and until it was complete. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just so well said because it seemed like at the end of the day, right, like you created this and it was as much about creating the game, but it was actually equally and maybe even more about having the courage to take that risk. Yeah, I think it was a combination of of all of yeah my passions and courage and commitment to, to pursue what was important to me, yeah. Really random question again, but now mm-hmm. that you created this game, how do you think it's impacted you, like just from a mindset perspective as a business owner? Yeah, well, I don't think I w- ever envisioned myself really creating a physical product of any sort when I was envisioning my career as a psychologist. But I think it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it feels like an authentic expression of who I am because it's this combination of these two passions. So it feels, I don't know, it feels really good to have it out there and to see people respond to the game so positively and love it. And, you know, I've had some people tell me that playing the game has sort of, they're living their life differently now because of the game that they played. That's Um, amazing. I know. Yeah. I'm always just like, so warms my heart when someone tells me that. So it, I don't know. It feels, it feels really good to kind of have it out there and, and to sort of have this unique expression of myself and my business out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like your voice, your perspective is just done and it's shared in a way that's so out of the box. Yeah. Out of the box. And I created my own box, I suppose. <laughs> Well played. That was not that was so not scripted. <laughs> uh, Alice, thank you so much for doing this. What are some of the best ways that folks can reach out to you and can find the board game? Yeah, so if you want to learn more about me, uh, you can visit my website at drellisedmonds.com. And to check out the board game, that is themindfulbus.com. Ellis, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm, you know, so grateful to have you part of the Selling the Couch community and just grateful for your heart and, uh, grateful for your courage because I know this episode's gonna help a lot of folks that are, that have these great ideas, but they're, uh, you know, have been scared to take that next mm-hmm. step. Great. Yeah. I hope it does. And I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity and I really appreciate everything you do, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, take care. Bye. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ellis. And more than anything, I hope that it helps you and it gives you courage and hope, especially if you've had a really good idea, a really out-of-the-box idea, but you've kind of been sitting with it and haven't been sure how to proceed forward. Just talking with Ellis, maybe it was me because I was a, a gamer growing up and I definitely played my share of Nintendo games growing up. I actually remember playing Duck Hunt and had my little gray colored uh, Nintendo NES gun and playing Duck Hunt and watching that dog, you know, kind of start to wag and then jump into the bush and the ducks coming up. So I brought back some really good and fond memories. Ellis mentioned a number of resources, and you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 109.
be sure to head over to the mindfulbus.com. Um, that is where Ellis's board game is housed. Um, support the good work that he's doing. Um, this is a colleague and I think it, it takes so much courage to do something like this. And, and I think practically uh, for your clients and for your families, a game like this might be, uh, so helpful for you. And you can also find more about Ellis's private practice website at drellisedmonds.com. As I mentioned in last week's episode, my big project for the year is the Selling the Couch directory. This is a directory that's a little bit different than other directories online. It's focused on us as private practitioners. And the purpose of the directory is to help us to be able to connect and collaborate with colleagues who share our passions and interests, for us to be able to consult on cases that may be difficult or that fall outside of our clinical expertise, and for us to be able to refer to other colleagues when we have clients that may not be a good fit, and also to get referrals from colleagues when we have open slots in our private practice. You can learn more about the directory and uh, some of the things that I'm doing at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Uh, I've got an explainer video that that gives you kind of an inside look at the directory and I'll uh, try to update the video as I continue to build this out. I've been using these past weeks to get lots of feedback and create lots of steps. And uh, actually, it's funny, this conversation with Ellis, I think, was so helpful because, you know, the thought of creating a directory is awesome at the beginning, and then you quickly get overwhelmed. Uh, but this idea of like breaking it down into small incremental steps, I think that was so helpful to hear. And uh, that's what I'll be doing after this recording. Again, show notes to today's episode are at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 109. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and come join us over in the Selling the Couch community at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. And uh, you can connect with us or over, uh, we're coming on 4,000 members in the community or some wonderful colleagues there. And uh, we've built just a, a wonderful community and hope to have you there with us. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.